Well, good morning and welcome once again to Redeeming Grace Church and happy Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you enjoyed time, whether that was with friends or family. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here and it is good to gather with you this morning. We're going to be in the book of Acts this morning. And so if you listen to the reading of God's word as Nick reads our sermon text. Acts 20, 33 through 35. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> God of mercy and grace, we praise you this morning. On this Thanksgiving weekend, we give thanks to you for your steadfast love, for your lavish grace. God, you are good, and we praise you for that. You've given us so much in Christ, and so we give you thanks for that. And we pray that you would help us have glad hearts because of all that you've given. Help us to be full of gratitude Help us today by your spirit to glean wisdom from your word and to live our lives accordingly for our good and for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of uh, sayings in life that we've likely heard before, cliches and common phrases. Things like, better late than never, or absence makes the heart grow fonder. But isn't just kind of out there in the world, there are cliches and common phrases that sometimes Christians use. Some are biblical, even from the Bible, many are not. Here are a few particularly not so good ones maybe you've heard before. When God closes a door, he always opens a window. I'm not exactly sure what that's supposed to mean. Like, are we climbing in the window or jumping out of the window? I don't know. God will never give you more than you can handle. I don't know about you, but that's not the reality of my life. God often gives me more than I can handle. In this last one, I'm sure we've all heard before, God helps those who help themselves. That is not in the Bible anywhere. Now, there are some that are from the Bible that are common that we hear. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Out of Philippians. The problem is we often use it out of context. That doesn't mean God's going to help you hit a home run. But then there are common phrases taken from the Bible that even culture will use, and we come to one of those today. It's more blessed to give than to receive. An article in the British newspaper, The Guardian, published a few years ago, illustrates this. It says, in studies, the researchers found that the old adage, it's better to give than to receive, is correct. Now, this article by The Guardian makes no mention of that actually being in the Bible or that Jesus is the one that spoke that. But nevertheless, apparently, it's a good thing. But what exactly does that actually mean? And how do we not just think of it in a cliche way, but actually make it a part of our life? We're taking a break from our Galatians sermon series. Next week, we'll start an Advent sermon series. But today, we're jumping back into a series called Life Along the Way. This is a sermon series that we come back to from time to time to open up God's word and focus in on a topic or an issue that we encounter as we seek to follow Jesus in this world, as we seek to live life along the way. It's a series where we take what we believe and seek to purposefully and practically apply it to our lives. 
And what we'll see today is that what Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive, is not a cliche. It's not a throwaway phrase. It's an important truth that's rooted in the reality of who Jesus is. And it's a truth that is not only for our good as we seek to live it out in our lives, but also is for the glory of God and the good of others. So whether you knew this was in the Bible or not, whether you've heard it before or not, my hope is is that God will use it in this time in his word this morning to help us see and experience the blessing of generosity. So let's dive into Acts chapter 20 and may God bless the preaching of his word. We're gonna spend our time looking at these three short verses, really focusing in on the second half of the last verse in verse 35 this morning. But before we do that, let me just give some context as to what's going on here as we jump into Acts 20. These verses are part of a larger interaction, longer interaction that the Apostle Paul is having with the elders of the Ephesian church. Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, records them here for us. And what's going on here is that Paul is heading to Jerusalem, presumably to be arrested and ultimately to die. And so this is his final word to these church leaders. He's seeking to encourage them and help them as they not only seek to follow Jesus themselves in a world that's set against Jesus, but also seek to lead a church full of people who are trying to do the same thing. So as we come to these three verses, we come to the very end of what Luke records Paul saying to these elders. And it's here that we see our first point, Paul's example of generosity. Look at verses 33 and 34. It says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. It's interesting to me that of all the things that Paul could end his encouragement with, it's this, talking about money and possessions and working hard. It seems like verse 32 would be a more fitting end to what he's been trying to encourage them with. Verse 32 says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So what Paul says here, maybe it's a a postscript for him, kind of a PS, or maybe it's a, in mentioning this internal inheritance, it made him think of earthly possessions. Either way, though, he shares a personal example of how he lived and how he did ministry. So what is it that Paul's saying here? He says he didn't covet anyone's gold or silver or clothing. To covet something is to long for something that someone else has, wanting that thing to be your thing. And man, that is an easy thing to do. It's easy to fall into coveting. No one teaches us to covet, right? You don't have to teach a kid to want something that their sibling has or their friend has. It's something that's within us. It's a struggle that all of us can have, that Paul could have, that we could have. There's always someone around us who has something that we don't, that we'd like to have for ourselves. It's not just a bad habit, though, in our life. It's a serious issue. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Paul there says that covetousness is idolatry. Idolatry is false worship, or we give our affections and our worship and our attention to something other than God himself. And so he's saying when we covet something, when we long for something, our attention, our affections are so drawn to that thing instead of the giver of all things that essentially is false worship. So Paul's telling the Ephesian elders who might also be tempted to covet that he didn't. Now, this isn't a a prideful declaration, 
Like, look at me, I'm really good at this. No, he's sharing his life with them. He's seeking to be an example to them as he seeks to put to death what is earthly in him. And what he says in addition to that, almost as an instead of, is that he worked hard with his own hands to meet his needs. Not only his needs, but the needs of those who were with him. It seems as if Paul is giving these elders a portion of an antidote to coveting, and that is to work hard with your own hands. The work ethic of those who are in Christ, those who are followers of Jesus, should be particularly strong and stand out because we're not seeking to find our identity, not seeking to find our value in what we do, but in who we ultimately do it for. Later in Colossians chapter three, Paul says there, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Listen, your vocation, and that's whatever you do with your time during the day, whether you get paid for it or not. Whatever your vocation is, it can be an act of worship in your life when God is in view. All of your gifts, all of your abilities, all the opportunities that you have are from him. And so when we realize that, when we think on that, what we do with all of those things is an opportunity for you and I to glorify God and to give thanks. But this isn't just about working hard to make another buck or even just to provide for yourself or for your family. Look at the beginning of verse 35. He says, in all these things, not coveting and working hard to meet my own needs, and all these things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Paul has already testified to the generosity in his own life. He not only provides for himself, he said, but also for those that are with him. He's worked hard to bless those who are ministering alongside of him. But here he takes it further and says, by working hard in this way, we must also help the weak. See, for Paul, hard work isn't just about his personal bottom line. Working hard is about having the freedom and the flexibility to do good towards others, to be generous towards others, especially those who are weak. Now, we don't know exactly what he means by weak. It could be people struggling physically or spiritually or financially but it's clear that it's people who are in need of mercy in some way. Mercy is about relieving someone's distress, helping them in some way that they can't do something for themselves. It seems to be in this case that that includes financial help, but being generous can also be about using your time and your talents, your gifts and abilities that God has given you to help those who aren't able to help themselves. See, in all of this, even though Paul doesn't explicitly state it, great generosity towards others is implied in his actions. So here he is in this final address to the Ephesian elders, leaders in this local church that is near and dear to Paul. He leaves them with this final instruction by way of his own example. He's encouraging them. He's challenging them to not covet, to work hard to not use their position for personal gain, to help the weak through generosity. But as Paul is an example to them, they also can be an example to the congregation in all of these things, including generosity. That's part of the role of elders. 
1 Peter chapter 5 says that elders are to shepherd the flock of God that's among them. And one way that they do that is by being examples to the church. Now listen, an elder's life is never going to be perfect or sinless or without error or mistake or missteps. But overall, by and large, an elder's life should be worth emulating and worth imitating. Like Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This isn't about looking to an elder's life to be just like them. It's looking to an elder's life as they're seeking to run after Jesus. So Paul's challenging these Ephesian elders to be examples to their congregation. But while Paul And in turn, these elders can be examples to the people in their churches. The ultimate example, the ultimate source of instruction about how to live in the world but not of the world isn't these elders, and it isn't even Paul. It's Jesus himself, which leads to our second point, Jesus' call to generosity. Paul says we should do these things, we must help the weak, and then he says, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, interestingly enough, these words are not recorded in any of the four gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus didn't say them. It just means there was lots of things Jesus said that aren't recorded in the gospels. But somehow, through oral tradition, Paul knows that Jesus said this. And so now he seeks to remind the Ephesian elders and us of this important truth. So what exactly is Jesus telling us in this short little phrase. At a basic level, to be blessed is to have happiness or be made glad to experience joy. It's closely connected to being content. So it seems as if Jesus is saying more happy, more glad, more joyful is the one, more content is the one who gives rather than the one who receives. But is that really true? When it comes to money and possessions, the world teaches us, especially during this time of year, that happiness increases the more you acquire. If you've got better stuff, shinier stuff, a bigger bank account. And at some level, that's true. I mean, we understand the blessing of receiving. Who doesn't like to get stuff, right? We all like to open gifts. We all like to get a bonus at the end of the year. We all like to experience something new or better. But giving And that requires us giving up something. It costs us something. How could that lead to a greater blessedness or happiness or joy or contentment? The reality is there is a limit to the happiness that we can experience through the acquisition and retention of more things. Why? Because all of those things will fade. All of those things will go away. Our money will go away. It'll be used on stuff. The stuff we get will get old and worn out. As one pastor says, it's all the stuff of future garage sales. None of it will ultimately satisfy you. It's better, Jesus says, and studies have shown, that you will be more blessed if you are willing to give from what God's given to you in order to bless and help others. This is about the blessing of generosity And generosity is so much broader than just our money. It certainly includes that, using that to help others, to bless others, but it also includes any of your resources. In addition to money, it's your time and your energy and your talents and the things that God's giving you, using those things to help others and bless others. 
See, what Jesus is saying here isn't that there is no blessing in receiving. Of course there is. He's saying that it's better for the person who can to do so, to give, to be generous, to help and serve others with what's been given to them rather than amassing further wealth for himself or herself. It's better, it's more blessed, it's joy at a deeper level than anything that you could get from getting. Now, there was a Greco-Roman principle of reciprocity that was common in this time. Sure, we can give, but I give in order to get. Kind of a quid pro quo way of living. Jesus is challenging that here. It's giving without the expectation of getting. It's selfless giving instead of selfish greed. See, I think what Paul's doing here in trying to help these church leaders and in turn their churches, what Jesus is teaching us here is that generosity is the antidote to greed. It is the antidote to coveting. See, coveting not only spoils relationships between people, it also hinders the work of the gospel. Since those who are seeking to advance themselves and focusing in on self by gaining more materials are tempted to only look at their own life and not seeing the many opportunities that exist all around them to show grace, to show mercy, to see the message of the gospel go forward both in word and in deed. But when we seek to work hard in order to not only provide for ourselves but help others, it frees us from the captivity of covetousness by taking our eyes off of me and looking up and looking around. It's a demonstration of loving God and loving others more than we love ourselves. And in that, Jesus is telling us as much joy, in that as much freedom, because when we do that, we're living in a way that's glorifying to God. But here's the deal. You can't hear this and just say, okay, let me just muscle up on my own to be generous. This isn't a call to moralistic living, like go try harder, go do better. Because the reality is left to ourselves, our hearts are turned inward. We are selfish, self-focused people. Now this is a call through Paul's example, through this calling from Jesus to grace-motivated, grace-empowered generosity, generosity that flows out of a changed heart and a changed life. See, what Jesus says here isn't a cliche. It's not a pithy saying fit for a coffee mug. Now, Jesus can say this because Jesus did this. If you go to places like Philippians chapter two, we see Paul there say that Jesus, who existed in all eternity, the second person of the Trinity who experienced all the glory of the Godhead, came to us. He took on the form of a servant, he came to us as one of us in order to rescue us. He came to serve us, not be served by us. Mark 10, 45 says that, and he said to the point of giving his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came into this world not to get something from you. He came into this world to give something to you, to give you his life, his perfect life. He went to a cross and exchanged places with you. You deserve to die for your sin and for your rebellion. But 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that we get his righteousness and he gets our sin on the cross. He gave his life in order for you to be made right with God, to pay the penalty that you deserve for your rebellion. 2 Corinthians 8.9 illustrates this perfectly. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he had all the glory due to him for being the creator of all things. Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Not rich materially, not with the things of this world, but rich in grace, reconciled to God because of what Christ had done for you. You and I were weak. We were in need of help, dead in our sin, in need of mercy, but Jesus paid it all for us. He took on our sin and we get his righteousness. Verse 32 talks about this inheritance. This is it, the inheritance we have in Christ. Everything that's his becomes yours because of what he's done for us. And why did he do that? Hebrews 12, for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus knew it is blessed, more blessed for him to give in that moment. He experienced the joy in his generosity towards us. So we have to see that Jesus modeled this kind of giving he's calling us to. Jesus' generosity towards you wasn't rationed out. It wasn't held back. His generosity wasn't only given to those who deserved it because none of us did. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. While we were running the opposite direction of God in rebellion against him, Jesus gave generously of his life and grace towards us. That is the gospel. That is grace. That's what makes it so radical and so extravagant that he would pour out his life in that way. And you and I can now experience the blessing of generosity. We can live it out because we've already experienced it in and through Jesus as the recipients of his undeserved mercy and grace. We can do that if we've repented and believed, if we've turned away from our sin and turned to faith in Christ, recognizing where we've been selfish and self-focused, repenting, turning away from that, confessing that, and putting all of our hope in him. But listen, if you find yourself here this morning realizing that you've not yet done that, that you've not yet experienced God's redeeming grace in and through Jesus, let me implore you to call on Jesus now and ask him to save you from your sin and from your shame and from your selfishness and to make you new. Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of your salvation. Listen, when any of us experience the lavish love of God, when any of us experience the radical generosity of grace, we are changed. We are transformed. God, by his spirit, makes us alive. God, by his spirit, gives us a new heart, a new heart that no longer lives for self, but for King Jesus. But your transformation and my transformation is both a reality and a work in progress. The natural posture of our heart bends towards self, not towards others, and certainly not towards God. The gospel changes that when we place our faith in Jesus, but our old nature, it likes to try and make a comeback. It's at war with our new nature. This means as much as we believe what Jesus says to be true, as much as we want it to be the reality of our heart and life, we can still struggle when it comes to generosity because the remnants of greed remain the residue of self-sufficiency lingers, right? I, I worked hard. I did this. I deserve this. And I know it does in my own heart, my own life. So what do we do with that? We have to keep repenting. We have to keep turning to Jesus in faith. We have to keep coming back to the gospel of grace. We have to keep coming back and remembering what Christ has done for us and keep asking God to renew our hearts and renew our minds to transform us from one degree of glory 
to another. And this is especially true in the area of our money and our stuff. I know we've said this before, but it's helpful to be reminded of it, that we are stewards of all that we have, not owners. Everything you have, all your gifts, talents, and abilities, whatever's in your bank account, whatever you own or possess, all of that is not yours ultimately. It's God's and he's given it to you. But sometimes, we were, my, my family was just traveling for Thanksgiving. My kids were watching Finding Nemo in the car. It made me think of the scene where the fish or the crab or whatever it is is on the dock and all those birds start saying, mine, mine, mine. And we can all be like that. Look at something, think that's mine. I deserve that. I can't let it go. But when we come back to the grace we've received, when we come back to the generosity of our God towards us in Christ, we can move from being people who only love to receive to people who genuinely love giving. People who really believe we will have a greater experience of happiness, a greater experience of blessedness, of joy, of contentment when we seek to bless others with what's been given to us. In other words, when you and I are changed to be more and more like Jesus. That is the only way to experience the truth of what Paul models. It's the only way to experience the truth of what Jesus calls us to. Reoriented hearts, reoriented minds that by grace and the power of the Spirit are able to love God and love others more than we love ourselves. Hearts and minds that are able to have an eternal perspective on those things rather than a temporal one. Hearts and minds that are able to see that the greatest treasure in this life and the life to come is not what's found in your bank account or your house, but what's found in the real and risen Jesus. So how might our lives look different if we actually believe this to be true and seek to live it out? Well, brothers and sisters, we have to come back and remember that we don't give out of obligation, we give out of transformation. Grace is what motivates us to be generous. And when we seek to live this out, as one author puts it, this kind of generosity can actually become a currency of grace. As you seek to bless other people with what God's given to you, as you seek to come alongside your brothers and sisters or someone you see that's in need and help them, as you seek to advance the gospel in and through the local church and as we partner with other missionaries and ministries outside of our church, all of those things as we use what God's given to us and seek to be generous, all of those things can testify to the riches of grace we have in Jesus. Tim Keller, speaking about generosity, wrote this. He said, radical generosity is a profound and undeniable evidence of the power of the gospel. The more Christians give their money to God and others, the more people will believe in and experience the living reality of Jesus Christ. That's true, whether you literally give money to a ministry that wins people to Christ or whether you're simply generous to your neighbors and to the poor. Christian giving changes people's lives. And we've seen that throughout history. If you out throughout history and time all over the world, the local church, the church, followers of Jesus have done this in profound and significant ways. Schools all over the world have been started by people who are following after Jesus. Hospitals all over the world have been started by people who are following after Jesus. Adoption, locally and globally. The early church took up the call to adopt kids that were abandoned on the sides of hills in order to die and brought those children into their own family as they sought to follow after Christ. 
mercy to the poor and to the sick, literacy programs, advances in science and in medicine. So many of those things have come out of the lives of faithful Christians. And all of this was done not because these Christians wanted accolades and acknowledgement of their altruism. It came about because they believed Jesus, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. So what would that look like if we did the same as we look to finish this year and look to the next? First, I just wanna say thank you for your generosity, both in serving in and through this church and giving financially. We as a church have been able to do many things as we seek to be faithful to live out our mission and vision as a church, from discipling the hundred something kids right now that are downstairs in Grace Kids, to supporting local church plants, to paying to have full-time staff serve and lead our church, to supporting local and global missionaries who are both agents of mercy, mercy and ambassadors of grace. We've been able to utilize a significant amount of money out of our benevolence fund to bless and show mercy to those both inside and outside of our church. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for leaning into this. Thank you for believing what Jesus says here but I wanna give us three steps to help us to continue to grow in that, to continue to move in that direction, or maybe for some of you to start for the very first time. The first is to pray. <clears throat> if we're gonna to take to heart what Jesus says, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask him to search our hearts in order to lead us away from greed and self-focus and towards grace-motivated generosity. So let me encourage you to take time to pray. And I don't say that just as a throwaway thing because that's what we're supposed to say. Now, genuinely come before the Lord and ask him, God, would you show me? Would you lead me? Would you help me to be attentive to your spirit? Ask God how he wants you to use what he's given to you. Again, whether that's your time, your talents, or your resources. Be attentive to the spirit and where and how he's leading you to be generous. Ask him to help you see opportunities that are, probably already exist all around you that you maybe just haven't been made aware of yet. But let me also to encourage you to ask others to join you in praying. Community is key to believing what Jesus says here. Community is key to living generous lives, both as a means of accountability, having others help you think through how you're using what God's given to you, but also as a means of encouragement, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. I know in my own life that when I hear about someone else's generosity, it gets me fired up to think about how can I be generous. So share your life with one another as you're seeking the Lord together through prayer. Second, plan. The kind of generosity that Jesus is inviting us to doesn't come about from being passively engaged. We need to plan, to think, to scheme for the kingdom of God. Now, this can be both planned spontaneity. I know some of you have shared this before. You set aside money maybe every month or every year for opportunities that might come for you to be generous. I love that. It's planned spontaneity. But also just intentional giving, being purposeful and regular about how you're going to use what's given to you in order to be generous. So let me highlight two specific opportunities with that. First, there's just the end-of-year giving to our general fund. Your end-of-year giving above and beyond your normal giving enables us to continue to do the ministry we've planned for and more. We have lots of dreams, lots of ideas, lots of opportunities before us, and it's through your generosity that we're able to do that as a church together. So consider how the Lord might be leading you in that. 
And if you're a member of this church and you aren't already regularly giving, let me just encourage you to make a plan to begin that at the end of this year as you look to 2024. If you need help with that, let us know. We'd love to help you with it. Second, though, I want to encourage you to come alongside of one of our church plant partners. Mercy of Christ Fellowship in Northeast D.C. I want us to consider what it would look like for our church to be radically generous towards them to meet a very specific need. Right now, they're seeking to raise $3,000 in order to buy Christmas gifts for kids connected to their church. Where their community is, has different struggles and sufferings that go on there, and some families are unable to buy even just one gift for their children. And so on December 9th, they're hosting a Christmas morning at their church to celebrate Christ, to enjoy some good food and fellowship with one another, and to give gifts to some of these kids who might not otherwise get anything on Christmas. What if our church came alongside these brothers and sisters and helped cover the cost of these gifts and this event and just sought to be generous towards them, to bless them and know that any additional funds may think $3,000, that's not much. It, It isn't. Any additional funds that we give towards Mercy of Christ Fellowship will be used to care for and disciple people in their church and in their community. Redeeming grace, what would it look like for us to take that up, to plan, to be generous in that way? An email is going to be going out after our gathering today with instructions on how you can give directly to Mercy of Christ. And in that email, there'll be some other opportunities for you to consider, how you might bless some of our missionary partners and church plants and ways to encourage them at the end of this year. So just take time to pray, take time to plan as the Lord leads. The last step, though, is to practice. You know, good intentions don't actually do any good unless we actually put them into practice. So let me encourage you to follow through and how the Spirit's leading. We won't really know if what Jesus says is true if we don't actually seek to live it out in our lives. So maybe you find yourself wanting to grow more in your understanding of generosity, figuring out how to make it a greater part of your life, a characteristic of your life. Again, let me encourage you to invite your community into that. Ask brothers and sisters around you how they work on being generous and remembering the gospel in that. We also are going to be doing a class soon through our RGCU classes led by some of our uh, pastor elders here in the first part of 2024 using a resource called the Generosity Project. It's a great chance for you to spend some time with other brothers and sisters and really think on how the gospel informs our generosity So there'll be more information coming out about that soon. So be on the lookout for that. But as we close, let me just ask you this question. How might God be asking, how might God be inviting you to experience the blessing of generosity? Listen, I want us to be a radically generous church made up of radically generous people. Radical because when the world looks at what we do with our lives and our resources and our time and our money, they would think we're crazy. And this comes by way of living lives that have been transformed and are being transformed by the grace of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, when we do this, when we seek to orient our hearts and open up our hands, using all that God has given us in our time, our talents, and our treasures for his glory and the good of others, we will truly experience that it is indeed more blessed to give than to receive as you and I live life along the way. Amen.